welcome to the All About Animals Radio. We are a volunteer-run community radio station dedicated to all animals and those who advocate for them. My name is Nikita Dewan, and today we have Dr. Lori Marino for the Water World Show. Dr. Marino is a neuroscientist and expert on animal behavior and intelligence, especially for dolphins and whales. She's a founder and president of the Whale Sanctuary Project, an organization aiming to create seaside sanctuaries for whales and dolphins, retired from captivity or rescued from the wild. I'm really excited to have you here, Dr. Marino. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you so much for coming. And, you know, you've been associated with animal science and protection for quite a while. So can you start by telling us about your background and how you got involved in this field? Uh, Yes, sure. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist and I've studied uh, the brain and how it relates to behavior in dolphins and whales and other animals uh, for over 30 years now. And uh, I've done that mainly uh, through non, uh, non-invasive means and uh, began to be very, very interested in dolphin brains and dolphin intelligence when I was in graduate school. And uh, that was really what led me to become very interested in, in dolphins and whales. But I've also worked with chimpanzees and farmed animals as well. Uh, would you say you were interested in animals from a very young age as well? Yes, absolutely. I was always the one in the garden. Um, I had worms in my pockets. <laughs> and uh, I would watch insects for hours. And the question I was always interested in was, uh, what is it like to be a member of another species? And that question has carried me uh, all the way up to today. No, yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, so interesting you work in like animal uh, intelligence and just looking how their brains involve because I feel like often we don't view animals as intelligent, even though they have just a different type of intelligence. And I think that's just uh, really important to um, explore. So I think that's very cool. And right now you're working at the Whale Sanctuary Project. So can you just tell us about its mission? What kind of work do you do um, and just your vision for it? Sure. Well, uh, in 2016, uh, I got together with a group of friends and colleagues and uh, we decided that uh, we wanted to do something really concrete about the fact that whales and dolphins uh, have very poor welfare living in marine parks and concrete tanks. And that's when uh, we came up with the idea of creating sanctuaries. And so uh, we incorporated as an organization uh, in 2016, and uh, we began to uh, create a a team uh, that now includes over 50 plus advisors from all over the world and uh, a great executive director, Charles Vinnick. And our mission is to really change the way humans relate to other animals, especially dolphins and whales. And we do this by uh, creating a sanctuary, helping others create sanctuaries, and also uh, creating a whale and dolphin science and and helping others who want to, to protect and advocate for dolphins and whales. We are creating a a sanctuary for beluga whales and orcas in Nova Scotia. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason it's so important to do this is to show that there is an alternative to keeping these animals in concrete tanks, in these in these stark concrete tanks uh, in marine parks for entertainment. And it's really important to show that, not just say that it can't, that it should be done, but to actually make it into something that actually exists and serves as a model for others around the world. Yeah, I think setting that example would be really important. And how would you say that, you know, so far your this sanctuary defers to a captive environment in terms of living space, social opportunities, enrichment, et cetera? Well, you know, a sanctuary, even an authentic sanctuary, is still captivity. And uh, we have to acknowledge that. But the fact is, is that most dolphins and whales, if not all, uh, who are living in marine parks around the world now uh, can't be uh, put back into the ocean. They are they have been born into the tanks, most of them. And so they don't have survival skills. They don't have a social group. And so that's not an option for them, unfortunately. But what is sanctuary does, an authentic sanctuary, is it provides an alternative to the the deprived, sort of the deprivations of living in concrete tanks, small concrete tanks, and having to entertain people and being on display. Um, And so it's not perfect, but I would say it's a qualitatively different way of life uh, for dolphins and whales. Uh, In Sanctuaries, what we are going to try to do is give back as much as possible of what they need to thrive. Um, And that's not really possible in concrete tanks in marine parks because they have other priorities. Uh, In a sanctuary, the priority is simply the individuals who are living there. No, definitely. I think um, I was also looking at like your website, just the process of building the sanctuary. And it looks like yes. you've tried to minimize human disturbance, particularly like um, assessing if there's runoff from the shore during storms uh, with pollution and um, just restricting the amount of human activity in boat traffic. So I think that aspect's also pretty different. And uh, you also mentioned on the website compared to only around a thousand square yards in, of space in a typical display tank, your sanctuary has a minimum of you know more than a hundred acres of water space. So yes, and that's about hundred and fifty times larger mm-hmm. than the largest tank in the world. And of of course, it's not enough. It's never enough because these mm-hmm. animals should be living in the ocean. Yeah, but it's it's so it's much much more. It's it's qualitatively better, and they will be in the ocean. And we will uh, promote their autonomy and their privacy, uh, but we will still care for them. We will have a full veterinary staff and we will feed them and we will still maintain some of the behaviors that uh, we need to maintain in order to keep them uh, safe. So it's it's sort of for a captive dolphin and whale, it's the best of both worlds. It's uh, trying to get them as close to a real life in nature as possible, but also uh, caring for them uh, at the highest level. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're maintaining that balance between their natural yes. members, but also um, since, like you said, they're not adapted to the wild environment, they need some 
assistance on that end. And you had also mentioned, you know, how you want the sanctuary to be a model for future sanctuaries. I was wondering, I don't know about Canada itself, but are there any more whale and dolphin sanctuaries globally? Are they common or are we really lacking in that area? Well, they are really starting to come into being. Uh, There are two others uh, that we are working with to develop uh, uh, actually accreditation guidelines for authentic sanctuaries. One is the National Aquarium in Baltimore, and they are developing a site in the in the Caribbean uh, uh, for seven bottlenose dolphins that they currently have at their facility. And they are getting out of the dolphin whale. Uh, show business. Uh, so uh, we are uh, very happy to know about that. And then there's also the um, a facility, uh, a sanctuary in uh, Iceland, uh, where two beluga whales uh, have been uh, have been um, retired uh, by uh, a Merlin Entertainments. Now those two beluga whales, who used to be in concrete tanks, are not in the Icelandic sanctuary permanently yet, but we hope that uh, that will happen next year. So you can say that by next year, there will be three sort of on the map. And um, what we're hoping to do is help others uh, create as, as many as possible because we certainly need them. There are over 3,000 dolphins and whales living in concrete tanks around the world. So there's a great need for it. And eventually, of course, Nikita, what we'd like to do is see a time in the future when sanctuaries are not needed, where all of these animals are living where they should be living, in the ocean with their own families. Yeah, exactly. And regarding those, uh, you know, those 3000 captive whales and dolphins, can you elaborate on some of the problems that captivity poses to um, them, both mental and physical? Well, yes. And and uh, my co-authors and I, my colleagues and I have done a lot of work in this area right. and we've published on this work. And, and there are really, um, you know, across the board problems. I like to say, and this is based on the science, that everything that makes life worth living uh, for a dolphin or a whale is missing in a concrete tank in an entertainment park. Yeah. Uh, we see that they suffer from uh, opportunistic uh, infections, pneumonia, gastritis, encephalitis, kinds of infections that happen when uh, the immune system is not working properly. They also exhibit all kinds of well-known uh, behaviors like stereotypies, repetitive behaviors that uh, indicate that there's something wrong in the brain, uh, mm-hmm. self-harm, grinding their teeth down, uh, banging their head against the tank walls. And then their social lives are completely disrupted and there's often hyperaggression as well as uh, mother calf, uh, a, a problem with mothers caring for their calves uh, and maternal attachment. So, uh, you know, their lives really are are absolutely nothing like um, what they need to have in order to thrive or how they evolved. 
Yeah, I've heard uh, similarly for the maternal attachment, like for other larger mammals, like for elephants, they have very close-knit social structures. So I can imagine that um, how captivity and just breaking them apart can uh, have that effect. And But I've never heard of, um, you know, the self-harm, the grinding of teeth and banging of head. I think that's something new. Um, it's very interesting. And you also mentioned hyperaggression. And there have been yes. several cases of, you know, resistance by marine animals like orcas against their trainers, like um, Tilcom, the orca and blackfish. So yes. can you just elaborate on this cases, these cases of resistance and, you know, what causes it? Is it their struggles with captivity, the poor health? Well, you know, there have been a number of deaths. Uh, as well as injuries. And that's mainly uh, due to uh, orcas uh, acting out, killing or harming uh, their trainers or others, but also uh, bottlenose dolphins, other cetaceans. There's a long list. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's going on? I think what's going on there clearly is we're seeing the effects of stress, chronic stress, uh, that these animals are under as they're forced to live in an artificial situation. Uh, And I think that it is surprising in many ways that it doesn't happen more often in captivity. Uh, We don't see these kinds of aggressive events in the wild. It just doesn't happen. Um, And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is it about living in a marine park that is so stressful for these animals? Well, it's a completely different environment than what they need. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't think it was these levels of aggression. I can imagine is rare in a natural setting. I haven't heard of any cases where orcas have, you know, killed humans in other situations, but only in captive environments where that conflict is hard to escape. And um, I was just yes. reading a bit more about it. And um, there seems just like, are these actions deliberate? Because I've seen multiple things of people saying their actions do have intent and purpose. And that just shows yeah. that these animals are psychologically strong rather than weak. So just what are your views on that? Oh, I think that their behavior is certainly intentional. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, when uh, an orca uh, kills a trainer, Uh, They know what they're doing. I'm not saying that uh, it isn't a very complex mental issue that this this individual is experiencing. Like Telecom, when he killed his trainer, Don Branchow, I I think he knew exactly what he was doing, but he he, he just basically lost it. He lost control. Mm -hmm. Um, But they certainly know. Uh, what they're doing, and and they are certainly intentional in their actions. They know uh, uh, how we are in the water. Um, they know we can't hold our breath in the water very long. Um, they know they're stronger mm-hmm. than us. <laughs> um, all of these things, and I think that uh, we should uh, make an assumption that all of their behavior is pretty intentional. Um, the fact that it doesn't happen in the wild is because um, <clears throat> the mental disturbance, the emotional upset, the chronic stress that you see in the tanks is not there. Uh, yeah. So there's there's absolutely no reason for them uh, to want to attack humans. Yeah, definitely. And I would recommend all the listeners to um, explore the documentary Blackfish. It does provide a lot yes. of insight and just 
SeaWorld and um, just behind the scenes, um, the stress that these uh, marine animals go through. And just regarding the behavior, you're saying, you know, it's intentional and they do have a lot of self-awareness, um, um, these marine animals. So can you talk about, you've also done research on the evidence for mirror, mirror self-recognition by, I think, do- bottlenose dolphins specifically. Yes. So can maybe just talk about the implications of the study and what are the yes. other measures of intelligence for marine animals? Well, there are, some, there are a number of measures of intelligence, but uh, in terms of measures of self-awareness, which is such a, a subjective uh, thing to study, uh, there aren't as many, but there, but there have been a number of studies done uh, in in uh, by by others that are that indicate that dolphins and whales are very self aware. About twenty two years ago now, Diana Reese and I did a study uh, in at the New York Aquarium. Uh, where we showed that two bottlenose dolphins who were living there were able to use the mirror to investigate parts of their body. And so they uh, were the first uh, non-primate species uh, to show mirror self-recognition. And mirror self-recognition is an indicator of self-awareness because when you look in a mirror, um, you know that's you. You have a sense of self. And if you use the mirror to groom yourself, to look at yourself, then that's an indication of that. And dolphins do that, chimpanzees, elephants, uh, just a few species. And so we were able to show that these two dolphins were using the mirror to check out parts of their body that we had marked. And it took over a year to do the study because we had to do all of the controls to to show that this is really what was happening. But uh, the the result of that was not just the scientific finding. Uh, The result of that was uh, a realization that these animals were very self-aware, were similar to us in that way, and yet they were living swimming in circles in in a dank concrete tank in Mm -hmm. the New York Aquarium in Coney Island, and their lives were miserable. And eventually they, both of them died at very young ages in their twenties. And this really led me to, to, to realize that I, I, I most certainly did not want to do any more work with captive dolphins. I just didn't want to contribute to that kind of suffering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, just given these, the the evidence that they have self-awareness, and as you said, just how similar their cognitive functions are to humans, I've seen many arguments about why we should include these animals into our moral circle. Uh, Just like for, you know, elephants, their arguments about personhood for dolphins and um, just individual rights for autonomy. So I think as you said, it's not just about the scientific findings, but also the ethical implications as well of how we treat animals. Absolutely. Uh, Very well said. And um, other than, you know, the obvious uses of dolphins 
And uh, for water shows and in aquariums, it's I found it interesting. They're also believed to help heal humans. So there's a belief that dolphin-assisted therapy can be beneficial for psychological illnesses like autism or even physical disabilities. So I just wanted to know what are your views on using dolphins for these for this form of therapy? Well, when somebody asks me about dolphin-assisted therapy, I tell them that my views are completely irrelevant because the science is very clear. Uh, Dolphin-assisted therapy does not work. It is not a valid treatment for any kind of disorder. I've done a tremendous amount of work in this area over the years with my late colleague, uh, Scott Lilienfeld, who was a clinical psychologist. And we uh, published a number of papers showing that these studies where they claim that swimming with dolphins has is a treatment for autism or uh, other kinds of conditions are, are completely flawed. There is absolutely no evidence that dolphins are healers in that way. Mm. And, uh, you know, I have to say that this is something that I've really taken on as a very important uh, issue because it is it is dolphin assisted therapy persists. Uh, and and there are the dolphins are are the ones who are victimized by because they're forced to you know, swim with people and interact with people when they don't want to. But it's all the victims are also the people themselves, these poor parents and their mm-hmm. children who are fooled into thinking that, you know, if they bring their child, their autistic child to a dolphin and pay thousands of dollars, that somehow their child is going to change. And that's that's really ethically uh, <laughs> uh, really, really a bad, really bad thing. So. All the way around, dolphin-assisted therapy, dolphins do not heal. Save your money. Uh, do not put your child in the water with a wild animal who does not want to be there. Uh, it doesn't work. It's a, it's basically a scam. No, yeah, I saw the uh, there are multiple research papers on your website record, regarding it. And I don't know, it's interesting to think about where this idea came from in the first place, considering there's no scientific evidence for it. Um but it just seemed that like the methodology for um, papers supporting it are flawed. Um, when I was well, yeah, to- definitely. And and I might add, if you don't mind, um, yeah. you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, you know uh, pseudoscience around. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just dolphin-assisted therapy. It's all kinds of medical claims uh, that have no uh, support. This is just one of them, but. I think that dolphin-assisted therapy comes very much from our ancient views about dolphins and whales as healers, as special animals in some way. And that has carried through to modern day uh, where people are exploiting the fact that people think that dolphins are somehow magical uh, or, you know, all kinds of things mm-hmm. this began, you know, a long time ago in ancient times, and then was picked up by people like John Lilly, uh, who promoted that kind of view of the dolphins. So it's been around. It's been around, and it's a modern version of that kind of mythology. 
Right. Yeah. And I can imagine people using that as uh, just a uh, justification because they're saying, look, it's benefiting humans as well. It's not just um, for entertainment. Right. And I think another just common justification is that for keeping these animals in captivity is that many claim that research with captive dolphins and whales is important for their own conservation. And so captivity, captivity is justified. So what is your perspective on that argument? Well, again, uh, there's no evidence really for that. There's very few studies that have been done on captive dolphins and whales that really have been directly applied to conservation in the wild. Uh, and so that that claim is a claim that is still searching for evidence. It's a claim that, you know, investigators who work with captive animals will use to justify what they're what they're doing, um, but they never really, really provide the evidence for that claim. So, you know, it's it's there's really not a whole lot to that to that argument. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, many of the justifications for captivity, I think, are just a facade, like for education as well. I don't think there's any educational value in keeping these animals captive. Um, no. But, and I think just overall, there has been legal process progress in several countries like, you know, Mexico and especially in Canada in banning yes. uh, captive marine animals for entertainment purposes via the ending of captivity of whales and dolphins act. And also just for animals in general with the Jane Goodall Act. Um, what is the status of this change in mindset for other countries? Well, you know, the the status uh, or the, the change in the public's view of keeping dolphins and whales and other large exotic animals in captivity, I mean, that has been changing, but it's uneven around the world. So, for instance, in North America, things have been getting better in terms of, of progress towards, you know, ending the keeping of these animals in entertainment parks. But in other parts of the world, like in China, uh, it's actually getting worse. And there are, I think, up to 90 marine parks uh, in China alone uh, stocked with dolphins and whales, many of them taken directly from the ocean. Uh, and so it's on an upward trajectory there. But as you mentioned, in Mexico, there's been uh, an, a change in in terms of uh uh, phasing out keeping dolphins for entertainment purposes. And they do a lot of dolphin therapy in Mexico, and that hopefully will end as well. Uh, in South Korea, they, they're moving in a progressive direction. So it really depends, and throughout Europe. So it depends. It's uneven around the world. Uh, but I think overall, overall, I think that uh, things will start to get uh, better for these animals. Why do you think there is a disparity in the change in mindset? Like, for example, in places like China, do you think it has to do with just um, less education and awareness about the problem? Or is there less action by governments regarding this? Uh, like, how can we improve that? Well, you know, there are a lot of advocates, animal advocates in China working on this very issue right now. And uh, I think that, you know, from the sociological point of view, a lot of China uh, is now stepping into uh, 
a, a, an era where they're, they have a growing middle class and the people uh, want to have the same kinds of advantages that they see, uh, quote, the West having. Uh, mm-hmm. And that means, you know, entertainment parks, amusement parks, zoos, et cetera, et cetera. This is, happens to be one of those things. So the people, you know, many people in China are are just sort of becoming aware of the fact that they can now go and see an orca or a beluga whale jumping up in the water, you know, in a tank and mm-hmm. people interacting with them. And they like that. Um, they want to have it's because of the success of that kind of thing here in the United States. They're following us. Um, so I'm hoping and I think that what will happen is eventually they will also follow a trajectory that we're following now, which is getting disgusted with seeing these animals doing tricks in concrete tanks and and start to to not uh buy tickets to these these uh, spectacles. So, you know, I think it's just a matter, it's a sociological uh, issue. Um, and eventually uh, China will end up being where we are now. Mm, yeah, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, hopefully there is a positive trajectory in the mindsets and more, you know, just expose documentaries on this, like Blackfish and just more scientific research can really help change people's minds. And um, this is more just a random question, but I was curious, is it possible regarding the sanctuary for younger whales to be reintroduced to the wild? No, um, not really. Uh, We expect that those whales who are living in a sanctuary will stay there. Because uh, especially if they're young and they were born in captivity, they just don't have they just don't have the skills. Um, they don't have a social group, an established social group to go back to. Uh, there's just too much that they're missing uh, of what they needed to learn in their formative years to really make it on their own. So unless they've only been in captivity for maybe a few months or maybe even just a couple of years, um, that would not be something that we would risk uh, doing. So they will they will be in the sanctuary permanently and live out their lives there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. And um, that's good to know. So I wanted to know, like you guys are doing so much work in this field, and we just as listeners really want to support you. So how can our listeners get involved in your cause, you know, any social media handles, current programs we can contribute to? Yes. Well, you know, we really, uh, we love to be, to have the involvement of young students, as young as elementary school. Mm -hmm. We're working with various uh, teachers uh, to develop courses and online materials. But if anyone wants to know more about what we're doing uh, just go to www.whalesanctuary.org. That's www.whalesanctuary.org. And you will find all kinds of goodies on that website about what we're doing, what uh, some of our different projects are, activity, and also how to get in touch with us uh, if you want to get involved, volunteer, or just learn more. Um, and we also have a uh, presence on Facebook, 
and Instagram, as well as Twitter. Uh, so there's many, many different ways, uh, but you could start with the website and and then go from there. Yeah, great. And we'll definitely link the website and um, just any links that um, can be helpful to our listeners. And I mean, this discussion was so insightful. I loved learning about more of the marine world. I know every time I've seen presentations on like elephant cognition, I've always, there's always another presentation on orcas and whales because um, they have such interesting intelligence and um, yes. obviously a lot of work still needs to be done on the captivity end, but I think it's great what you guys are doing this, um, sanctuary. It sounds amazing. And thank you. Um, also just the research reports sound very, very cool. So, I mean, thank you so much for coming in. This has been so inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Nikita. Thank you for having me and thank you for everything you're doing for the animals. Mm-hmm.